You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. This morning's scripture reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord for our church and is given for our good. Thank you, Caitlin. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would take these words and embed them in our hearts, that you would use this word spoken through the Apostle Peter so many years ago and speak it anew to us today. Father, we confess our weakness and our need Father, we confess that we don't have it all together and that we are a people in need of a move of your spirit. We need you to remind us of who we are, to call us back to yourself today, to renew us. We ask that you would do it through your word, by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, some of you will remember this line. It's from a classic Disney film, and I'll let you guess where it's from. Remember who you are. You are my son, the one true king. Remember who you are. Remember. Remember. (laughs) Okay, I don't have quite, if it was an octave lower, it would have been perfect. Uh, The Lion King, you you remember this line from Mufasa, well, the spirit of the dead Mufasa to his son Simba. Uh, And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story where we have Mufasa, the great king of the lions at Pride Rock who has a son and the opening scenes of the movie display just a, a joyful relationship between this father and son, this son who has great love and respect for his father, uh, this father who loves and protects his son. Uh, his heir, heir to the throne. And of course, 
soon is introduced uh, the uncle of Zimba, uh, uh, Scar, quite a, a perfect, perfectly villainous uh, uh, character who devises a plan to see that Mufasa is killed. He's a jealous brother of the king. He wants the kingdom for himself, and he makes sure that his, his brother uh, meets the end of his life through a stampede. And you'll remember a very moving scene. I, I think it's actually probably the first time that I, that I, I got choked up as like an eight-year-old kid in a movie when you have uh, uh, Mufasa dying at this stampede and Scar coming uh, as it seemed to the rescue of Simba. And Simba, as this little kid who is, who is mourning the death of his father, is told by Scar essentially that this is his own fault that the death of his father lays on his own shoulders. And what's Simba to do? He's to run away and never return, is what his uncle tells him. And, of course, the movie goes on, and we find that Simba, you know, he finds uh, something of a happy life outside, uh, away, Hakuna Matata with Timon and Pumbaa, and he seems quite content. But then when he's finally confronted with his childhood friend Nala, uh, about coming and returning, we find that he's, he's carried a burden for all these years. Uh, the burden of a sense of responsibility for his father's death, that he is the murderer. He's the one who's responsible for, for Mufasa's death. The son of the king here has come to believe that he's unworthy now to return. He's come to believe that he's destined to be an outsider, something of a vagabond, powerless to do any real good, and he lives like it. He lives like it. These are the things that he's come to believe. What he believes about himself shapes and, in a sense, determines how he lives and who he becomes. And so it is with us. What we believe about ourselves, what, what you believe about yourself, even sitting here today, about who you are, about where you're from and what you're worth and where your worth lies, what your purpose is, what you believe about yourself determines in large part who you are and who you will become. And we know this. Uh, we know this as we look around. I, I know this as uh, I think about a kid who grew up neglected by his parents, uh, who was told time and again what his worth was. He was neglected. He was mistreated. And when he was older, he eventually took his own life, uh, having been told what he was worth time and time again through the course of his early upbringing. It's, it's the person caught up in patterns of destructive behavior, self-destructive or destructive of others, lying or hypocrisy, living this double life, lust. It's the person who's come to believe that these things are just a natural part of who they are and they live like it. Right? What we believe determines who we are and who we become. And, and in our passage this morning, the Apostle Peter is writing, as I said, to elect exiles of the dispersion, churches scattered throughout Asia Minor. And here he's trying to help these scattered peoples, this, these displaced peoples, understand who they are, uh, their identity, who they are, that they might live like it, that they might uh, learn how then to live. And in this way, we find Peter simply following the logic of the gospel. We find this in the Ten Commandments when they're first given. Right? God doesn't simply come and say, do this, do this, do this. But he first reveals himself as the one who redeemed Israel, who set them free from slavery, who gave them a new name, a new identity, set them free. They're free now. They're his now. And now in light of this, in light of what God has done, in light of who God has made them to be, he then gives them commandments. 
and, to, and instructs them in the way to life. We find the Apostle Paul picking up the same logic throughout the New Testament. Right? You've been set free. This is, you're a new creation. Now live like it. And here, too, we find the same logic with Peter. God has given you a new identity. And so, he's going to go on to say after this passage, he's going to spend the great length of the letter saying, abstain now from the passions of the flesh. Subject yourself to every human institution. Suffer well under God's mighty hand. Do good. Shun evil. He's going to have all of these imperatives, things to do, that are all rooted first in the indicative of who they are. It's the logic of the gospel. God has made you new. Now live like it. And who are we now? According to the Apostle Peter, who are we in this passage? As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And we'll hear some of these same identifiers used a little bit later in our passage. You're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is who you are. And we find the Apostle Paul using all these Old Testament categories, right, of, uh, of being a priesthood, a, a temple, a holy house, a people of his own possession, all of these promises that God had given to Israel. And he's teaching these, these believers who are likely Gentiles scattered throughout this land, uh, who didn't maybe understand their relationship to historical Israel, and he's saying, this is your story too. The story of the Old Testament, God's promises to his people. You now have been grafted in. This is your story. And he's giving them this new identity rooted in Israel. And of course, connected to Christ, the true Israelite, the true man of Israel. That in him, this whole story, the whole history, the whole of the Old Testament is going to come to bear on this people in this text. This is who you are. And we're going to look at this in three sections. You are a spiritual house, a, a holy priesthood, a people for his own possession. This is who you are. And what I invite you to consider this morning, as we walk through these, these identity markers, we don't always see ourselves as we are. Uh, this is true of me, and I assume it's true of you. We often don't see ourselves, certainly as God sees us. We can easily come under a misplaced identity, a mistaken identity, an identity that's rooted more in our past than it is in God's promise. And this morning, I'd invite you to consider how God identifies you in these texts, who God says you are, uh, particularly those who have come to him. And, of course, if you're one here who would say, I, I haven't come to him, I, I, I wouldn't say that I belong to God, then this morning I invite you to consider what that might look like, what that might mean for you to come to him as you come to him and find a new identity rooted in what he says, in his promises, him naming you as you are. So first we find that we are a spiritual house. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This term spiritual house can also be translated a temple of the spirit. Okay, why, why a spiritual house, we might ask? Why does the Apostle Peter use this language? Why this image of people being built together, living stones, as, as these living blocks into this temple? Well, the temple, of course, in a biblical perspective, is the place where the heavens and the earth collide. 
Okay? Where, where God and his people meet together, where God dwells in union together with human beings. This is what temples do. This is how temples serve uh, people in the earth. They're meeting places uh, for the dwelling of God in the earth. And here, Peter's telling us this, that for all who come to Christ, the cornerstone of the temple, the, the, the person on whom this whole thing is built together, right? uh, the one who brings the relation of the whole, of the whole temple to him, all who come to him, all of you who are being built together, squared up and joined together with and in Christ, you're being built together as the dwelling place of God, as the place in the earth where God dwells with humans. This is it's a striking claim that the Apostle Peter is making, that you and I together are this dwelling place for God in the earth. And you may say to all of this, to this claim, I don't see it. I don't see it. Me, us, the dwelling place of God, us, the place where God's spirit dwells in the earth, do we see this? We may say it sure doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it in my day to day that we are together somehow the dwelling place of God in the world. You may feel stagnant. You may be unsure of where God even is in your life. You may feel abandoned by him in this season of life. You may feel that he's very far away. And this morning he says to you and to me through Peter that these feelings, these feelings of God's distance, these feelings of inadequacy, that these are not the things that define you, but instead it's God's promise to you that even as Christ was rejected, the one who endured sorrow, suffering, and death, that you, even in your own experience of dejection, in your own experiences of suffering, feeling that God may be far away, that God's promise is that he's building you up, that this is who you are. You're a temple. You're, you're a living stone in God's master plan of building together a temple for his own presence in the world. Okay, this is who you are. He's, you're part of this, this great building project that God is, is doing in the world. You're part of his house, and this is his promise to you. This is what God is doing with you and with me. He goes on in verse 6, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He's building his house, and he's building it with all who come to him. Next, not only are we named a spiritual house, but also, as Peter goes on, a holy priesthood. As you come to him, he writes, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And a little bit later in the passage, Peter says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and this that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are a priesthood. This is how God names us through the apostle, a priesthood, ministers of God's presence in the world, uh, ministers of God's peace to the world, to proclaim his excellencies in all the world. And again, you may hear this and say, it does not feel like it. I don't feel like it. I, I, I don't feel like I'm part of this, this priesthood. I, I can't even hold my own life together, let alone be a priest, uh, a minister of God's presence in the world. 
Right? It doesn't feel like it. And, and maybe you can feel like something of a fake or a failure, an imposter in this building that God is putting together, in this royal priesthood that God is establishing in the world as ministers of his presence to the world. You may feel like you don't even have your own life together in a way that would qualify you to be identified as part of God's royal and holy priesthood. And again, Peter would say that it's precisely to you to whom this good news comes. It's precisely to you. Remember that Peter is writing this letter not to a bunch of perfect people. As we saw in last week's text, he's writing this letter to people who need to put away malice, he says, and put away all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. It's to these people who may be identified as slanderers, people who struggle with deceit, being deceitful, lying, people who need to put these things away. And Peter is writing to these people. It's to these same people whom he says, this is who you are. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a holy priesthood. And so he says to you, to us today, that you may not feel like you're part of this thing, this this spiritual house. You may not feel that you're part of this holy priesthood, but you are, but you are. And it's not because you feel like it. And it's also not because you're that good. (laughs) It's not because of anything that you've done, except that you've come to him, the living stone, the one who's, who's chosen and precious in God's sight. You've come to him, the one on whom your life is now established. You've come to him. And it's on the basis of Christ and Christ alone that God names you. He gives you a new name. He tells you who you are. You're not what what defined you in the past. Today, you are his holy temple being built together by him. You're part of this royal priesthood in the world, ministers of God's presence in the world. This is what God says to you, and it's because of his promise, not because of who we are. He gives us a new name, my spiritual house. He gives us a new identity, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who constitute a dwelling place for God in the earth. A kingdom of priests, ministers of God's presence in the world. Hmm. Well, there's a pastor who tells the story of Jim and Mario. Mario had finally become a Christian after something like four years of Jim leading him through Bible studies. They would have all kinds of intellectual conversations about philosophy and objections to the Bible, objections to the Christian faith. They talked through all these things, but eventually Mario came to faith. And one day, years later, as they reflected on on how this happened and and their relationship over the years, Mario asked Jim, do you know what really made me decide to be a Christian? Do you know what it was that, that kind of pushed me over the edge? You remember that first time that I showed up at your house? We were on our way somewhere, and I had a bowl of soup with you and with your family. Do you remember this? He says, it struck me at that time that I would never have the kind of relationship that you had with your wife, with my fiance. <laughs> I would never have it. It was, it was um, out of reach for me. And that's when I knew that I needed to become a Christian. I knew that I needed what you had. And the funny thing is, as, as the pastor recounts this story, that Jim did remember He did remember that time. And what he remembered was 
his kids were not behaving very well. <laughs> and he was embarrassed that he had to discipline them and correct them in the presence of his guest, this guy Mario. He remembers being ashamed and feeling like this did not go very well. And yet, the Lord was doing his work through his priests in the world, building his temple, doing his work in and through those whom he had called as his own. Now listen, that... Much of what we do here as the church is very ordinary, ordinary-looking stuff. Right? Much of what we do as Christians, it's, it's awfully ordinary, our, our day-to-day lives, at least, at least mine is. You know, we gather together on Sundays. Here we are. We try to love our families. We try to do good to our neighbors and be good employees and be good spouses and contribute to those around us. We, we, we try to do all these things that are very ordinary. We, we try to be good disciples of Jesus, followers in his way. But, but one of the things that I'm learning uh, and seems to be beco- becoming more true the older I get is that all of, these, all of these very ordinary things, to actually access them, to, to get a grip on them, it's actually quite extraordinary. Right? It's a... It's an extraordinary thing to grasp at some of the most ordinary things of life. I think about a happy marriage. A happy family life. Something that seems so ordinary. It seems like this is just should be typical in the world. And yet, it's not. Uh, the strength to do, to do the right thing in the face of other options that might be more lucrative or might be easy, the easier choice to make. Right? The ability to forgive those who have hurt and wronged us. The ability to reconcile. Uh, the regular offer of hospitality in one's home. The ability to not be overcome by addiction, by lust, temptations of, of many, many kinds. These things, in one sense, they seem like the most ordinary things in the world, that everybody should be able to do these things. Everybody should be able to secure these things for themselves and make these kinds of wise decisions. And yet we find these things are the work of God. They're the work of God. They're the grace of God. To, to have a happy home life, it's a work of God. Right? To, to, to be the kind of home that can extend hospitality to others. It's a work of God. And these things that strike us as so ordinary in the world, they are extraordinary things that God is doing among us. That God is working in our midst as he's building his temple. He, he's building a new city, a new community, a new way of being human. And he's doing it even through us. In our broken messes, in all of the things that can go wrong, he's doing it through us. He's doing it. And he's determined to do it through his people who have come to him. So church, we may not always feel that God is dwelling among us. We may not always feel that we are this this temple. We may not always feel that we're part of this priesthood, ministering his presence in the world. But here's what the Apostle Peter assures us of. As you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And finally, and adding to all of this, not only are we a new temple, not only are we a royal priesthood, but perhaps most importantly, we're his. We're his. But you are a chosen race, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This 
it turns out, is what God is determined to do in all of human history. He's determined to make and call and forge a people for himself, for his own choosing, a people to be in communion, to have fellowship with him for all eternity. This is what God is doing in our world, a people for his own possession, being marked out and made by him, constructed by him, one stone after the other. He goes on in verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is what God is doing. And embedded in this passage is also a warning that along with the promise of a people possessed by God, chosen and precious to him, there is a warning to all who, as Peter says, will not believe. He goes on in verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe, this honor of being called out as a, as a people for his own possession, this honor of being a priesthood, this honor of being built up by God in the world as a spiritual house, this honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Here, Peter's quoting from the prophet Isaiah and from Psalm 118. They stumble because they disobey the word, he goes on, as they were destined to do. And if you're here and you find yourself living at enmity with God, opposed to him, not coming to him, unwilling to come to him. With the God who offers himself to you, there is a warning that there's no neutrality on the question of Jesus and what we do with Jesus. We either believe and are built up in him, or for those who do not believe, Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. There's no neutral ground here in terms of what we make of Jesus. And those who stumble on this stone, Peter says, stumble, it's quite interesting what he says, not because they aren't sure what to make of him or because of intellectual doubt, first and foremost, but ultimately, he says, they stumble because they disobey the word. It's an interesting way to put it. But if you're here, and maybe you've been curious about the Christian faith for years, maybe you've been sitting on the fence about the question of Jesus for years, the invitation this morning, following Peter, is to consider the relationship between your ambivalence to Jesus, your uncertainty around Jesus on the one hand, and your unwillingness to obey. There's a relationship between these two things your ambivalence on the one hand, and your unwillingness to obey. Could it be that your greatest barrier to belief in Jesus is actually not an intellectual one, but a moral, a question of the heart? It's your unwillingness to obey. And again, if that's you, there's an invitation. That as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are welcomed as you come to him, like living stones, to be built up as a spiritual house, as a royal priesthood. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We, uh, all who come to Christ, are given a new name, 
a new identity, a holy calling. He's building us. This is what God is doing. This is his commitment to us, that he's building us, living stones into a spiritual house of his own dwelling. He's marking us out as priests in the world, ministers of his presence. He's forging for himself a people who are his throughout the earth. And how is he doing it? How is he doing it? As you come to him. It's quite simple, really. How is he doing it? As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus, the only way to being built up as a temple of God is through the one who says, I am the temple. This is my body. Jesus, the only way to being included in the royal priesthood because he says, I am the great priest. This is the great priest in the world. It's participation in him. It's being built up in him that gives us this new identity. It's only then, as we come to him, that we get a new name. Remember who you are, Mufasa said. And Simba, of course, finally remembered. And what he came to believe about himself changed the course of his life, what he did and who he became. And so we return to the question, who are you? What do you believe about yourself? Who do you think you are? And the good news this morning is that for all of you who feel weak, cumbered by sin, at a loss, unable to do what's right, you who have perhaps even made a mess of your life, you who feel without hope in the world, you who feel discouraged, discouraged, hear what God says to you through Peter as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, perhaps there are some here who are unsure of their relationship to you, to your son. Father, this is a word of invitation, and I ask that you would move by your spirit to draw near us who are far from you, that we together would come to you anew today with great confidence that you're making us new, that you give us a new name, a new identity. Father, rooted in Christ, the living stone, we ask that you would make us your people, a people who follow hard after you, a people who would be your ministers of your presence in the world, who would proclaim your excellencies in all the earth. We ask that you would do this as a powerful work of your spirit in our midst. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.